0: Encyclical Letter Passem Dei Munis Pulcherium on Peace and Christian Reconciliation by Pope Benedict XV. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Encyclical Letter of Our Most Holy Father Benedict XV on Peace and Christian Reconciliation. To the patriarchs, primates, archbishops, bishops, and other ordinaries of places in peace and communion with the Apostolic See, Benedict the Fifteenth, Pope, Venerable Brethren, Salutation and Apostolic Benediction, Peace, the fairest gift of God, than which, in the words of St. Augustine, even in temporal and mortal affairs, nothing sounds more pleasing, nothing is more desirable, nothing more noble of attainment. That peace, which for more than four years has been the desire of the just, the prayer of the devout, the tearful mother's supplication, has at length begun to shed its rays in every land, and we above all rejoice and are glad. But this fatherly joy is disturbed by numerous and grievous considerations, for even though war has everywhere to some extent ceased, and several peace agreements have been signed, there still remain the seeds of ancient rivalries, and you, venerable brethren, rightly believe that no peace can be lasting, no treaty upheld, however long and laboriously arrived at, however strongly sanctioned, unless by the reconciliation of mutual love, hatred, and enmity are at the same time laid to rest. On a matter, therefore, of such great import for the common good, it is our pleasure to address you, venerable brethren, and earnestly to warn your flocks. We, in truth, ever since, by the hidden design of God, we have been raised to the dignity of this chair of Peter, have never, during the war, ceased to put forth every effort to secure that all peoples would, as soon as possible, unite in fraternal reconciliation. Therefore we, with earnest entreaty and frequent exhortation, pointed out the paths of friendship and peace, and strove by every means in our power, with God's help, to prepare for mankind the way to a just, honorable, and lasting peace, and all the while we sought with fatherly solicitation to alleviate the terrible sufferings and afflictions which were the direct result of that dreadful slaughter. The charity of Jesus Christ, which, in the critical inauguration of our pontificate, urged us to work for the return of peace and to mitigate the horrors of war, that same charity— now that peace has at length returned, urges us to strongly exhort all the children of the Church, and indeed all men, to banish old-standing hatreds and to entertain concord and mutual love. There is no need to prove what great injury would befall the human race if, after the signing of peace, latent enmities and discord between nations remained. We will not speak of the losses of those things by which civil life and progress are maintained." commerce, manufacture, arts, literature. These need the tranquil intercourse of peoples for their very life, but a more serious consideration is the fact that the foundation and expression of the Christian life, all whose strength lies in love and whose preaching is called the good tidings of peace, would be most seriously injured. For as you know, and as we have often recorded, nothing was so frequently and so strongly inculcated by our Lord Jesus to his disciples as this precept of mutual love, for it embraces all. Christ called it the new commandment, and his own, and he wished it to be the distinguishing mark of the Christian. Finally, on the eve of his death, he so declared and besought them to love one another, and by loving to strive to imitate the unspeakable unity which belongs to the Trinity of divine persons, that all may be one, as we also are one, that they may be perfected in one, Therefore, following in the footprints of the Divine Master, and in full obedience to his words and precepts, the apostles displayed a wonderful zeal in exhorting the faithful as follows. But before all things have a constant mutual charity among yourselves. But above all these things have charity which is the bond of perfection. Dearly beloved, let us love one another, for charity is of God. Our brethren of these early centuries faithfully observed these counsels of Christ and the apostles for although they belonged to many different races, they voluntarily sank the memory of their quarrels and lived in the most perfect concord. Such unity of heart and mind was a wonderful contrast to the deadly enmities which then raged within the bosom of the human family. The same motives which have been adduced on the side of the precept of mutual love urge us also to forgive wrongs, and our Lord commands no less strongly. But I say to you, love your enemies, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them that persecute and calumniate you, that you may be the children of your Father who is in heaven, who maketh his Son to rise upon the good and bad. Hence the grave warning of the Apostle John, Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in himself. Finally, we have been taught by Christ our Lord when praying to God to declare that we wish to be forgiven according as we forgive others. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. If at times it is difficult in trying to obey this law, the divine Redeemer of the human race is at hand to remove every difficulty, not merely with the seasonable aid of His grace, but even with His own example who when dying on the cross besought his father for those who tortured him so unjustly and so cruelly father says he forgive them for they know not what they do we who however undeservedly hold the place of jesus christ should before all others imitate his mercy and kindness and we therefore after his example forgive with our whole heart each and every one of our enemies who knowingly or unknowingly have attacked or now attack our person or office with insult or injury whatsoever, and we embrace them all with the greatest zeal and goodwill, letting pass no opportunity of heaping on them every favor that we can. So, too, should every Christian worthy of the name do to those who, during the war, were the cause of injury to him. But Christian charity is not satisfied if, instead of hating, we love our enemies as brothers it requires us to treat them kindly after the example of our Redeemer, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed by the devil, and who brought to its close a life spent in doing good to men by shedding his very blood for them. Wherefore St. John says, In this we know the charity of God, because he hath laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. He that hath the substance of this world and shall see his brother in need and shall shut up his bowels from him how doth the charity of god abide in him my little children let us not love in word nor in tongue but in deed and in truth at no time were wider regions of charity to be seen than in these days when all are laden and oppressed with the greatest distress never was the human race in such need of that mutual beneficence which springs from a sincere love of our neighbour and is full of self-sacrifice and zeal. On whatever side we took, the war has spent its fury. Immense tracts of land lie in empty solitude, uncultivated and abandoned. Peoples are in such sore distress that they lack even food, clothing, and shelter. There are innumerable widows and orphans dependent on chance support, and an incredible multitude of health-stricken infants and children— whose weakened bodies are an eloquent testimony to the cruelty of the recent war. While we contemplated the dreadful misery that mankind sinks under, we were reminded of that traveler in the gospel, who on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho fell among robbers, by whom he was stripped, beaten, and abandoned in a half-dying condition. There is a remarkable resemblance between the two cases, and just as in his case the merciful Samaritan, moved to mercy, came and dressed his wounds with oil and wine, brought him to the inn, and cared for him, so too may Jesus Christ, whom the Samaritan represented, stretch forth his hand to heal the wounds of the human race. The church which has inherited and still maintains the spirit of Jesus Christ claims this work and office as her own, the church whose whole life is a marvelous texture of manifold benefits, for she, the true mother of Christians, so maintains within her fold charity and love of neighbor that every remedy for the ills which sin brings to the souls of men may remain at her disposal. Hence, it is she trains and instructs children with gentleness, boys with strength, the aged with tranquility, as the age and condition of mind as well as of body demand. It is hardly credible how powerful these works of Christian kindness are to soothe troubled minds and restore tranquility abroad. Wherefore, venerable brethren, we pray and beseech you by the charity of Christ that you strive in all zeal and earnestness to move those entrusted to your care to lay aside hatred and forgive injuries, and that you put forth even greater efforts to encourage those institutions of Christian beneficence which succor the needy, console the sorrowful, restore health to the sick, all in fine, which in diverse fashion repair the immense ravages wrought by the war. We especially wish to impress on priests, the ministers of Christian peace, that they be assiduous in inculcating love towards friends and enemies, for this is the essence of the Christian life, and that, being all things to all men, they lead others by their example to carry on unceasing struggle against hatred and ill-will. In this wise they will render a most pleasing service to the loving heart of Jesus and to us also who represent him, however unworthily, on earth. In this connection, Catholic laymen who follow the profession of writing for the press, or otherwise, should be advised and strongly encouraged to put on the bowels of mercy and benignity as the elect of God, holy and beloved, and to show forth that same spirit in their writings by refraining from false and useless incriminations, and from the violent and abusive language, which not merely conflicts with the law of Christ, but serves only to reopen sores that had scarcely been healed especially when men are still conscious of the past and are sensitive to the slightest touch. The words with which we urge on all the duty of Christian charity we wish to address with special earnestness to those people who have been for years engaged in the strife of war, in order that the causes of conflict be as far as possible removed and friendly relations restored, without prejudice, of course, to the claims of justice. The Gospel Law of Charity, which binds men as individuals, binds also when they are united into, and constitute, states and peoples. Now that the war is at an end, not merely charity, but even the very tendency of world affairs leads inevitably to universal peace. For all nations are, in these days, bound together by strong ties of mutual intercourse and beneficence, a condition of things which has been much assisted by the greater respect for humanity and the wonderful progress of commerce. This forgiveness of injuries and fraternal reconciliation of peoples, which the law of Christ so strongly commands, and the very foundations of civilization require, has always been strongly urged by the apostolic see, even when the war raged, as we have shown already, and no intrigue or strife succeeded in silencing its voice. With still greater energy we now urge and impress that same duty once the treaties of peace have been concluded, as is shown in our recent letters to all the bishops of Germany and to the Cardinal Archbishop of Paris. Since friendly relations between civilized nations are considerably advanced by the custom which has recently grown of meetings and conferences between the heads of states for the purpose of arranging matters of importance, we, taking into consideration the changed condition of affairs and the tendency of the times, in order to assist the cause of peace and place no obstacle in its path have decided to relax the severity of the conditions which on account of the overthrow of the temporal power our predecessors imposed on the ceremonial visits of catholic rulers to rome but we most clearly insist that this relaxation which the critical situation of human affairs seems so strongly to counsel and demand must not be interpreted as an abdication of the most sacred rites of the apostolic see as though it at last acquiesced in its present abnormal situation quite the contrary we take this opportunity of renewing in the same terms the solemn protest which our predecessors frequently made in defence of the rights and dignity of the apostolic see not through human motives but because of the sacredness of their office and we again even more emphatically demand that since international peace has been restored the head of the church be relieved of that unreasonable situation which for many reasons is a serious danger to international concord. In the general restoration of justice and charity and the reconciliation of nations, it is much to be desired, venerable brethren, that all states enter, without misgiving, into a general society, or rather family, for the purpose of protecting their individual independence and for the preservation of order. Such a comedy of nations is recommended, amongst other reasons, by the widely felt need of abolishing or reducing military armaments which weigh so heavily on the resources of the state, and in this way war, with its train of evils, will be entirely avoided, or at least rendered less menacing, and the liberty and territorial integrity of every nation safeguarded. When nations are thus united under the law of Christ, their efforts to uphold justice and charity will be supported by the active interest and assistance of the Church, which is itself the most perfect example of a universal society, and from its character and constitution wonderfully able to unite men, not only for the purpose of their eternal salvation, but also for their temporal advancement, for it guides their footsteps through the things of this life so that they may not miss the happiness of the next. We know, on the authority of history, how the ancient barbarian races of Europe, once they had been penetrated by the spirit of the church, were gradually weaned from their countless rivalries and dissensions, and united into a homogeneous group from which, in time, sprang Christian Europe. So, under the lead and auspices of the church, the nations retained their distinctive character, yet were knit together in a unity which did much for their common prosperity and glory. St. Augustine brilliantly describes it thus, This heavenly city, which is, as it were, in exile on earth, numbers its adherents from every race and tongue. It is not concerned with differences of customs, laws, and institutions which make or unmake the peace of nations. It does not seek to annul or destroy, but preserves and maintains the distinctive characteristics of each in order to lead all to the goal of universal peace. Provided the worship of the one, true, supreme God be observed, the Church does not interfere. In the same strain, the Holy Doctor addresses the Church thus, You bring together in a union that is rather a brotherhood different states and different nations through the influence of their common origin from our first parents. Wherefore, to return to the subject of our address, we salute in the first place our own countless children, and in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ we pray and entreat them to lay aside mutual rivalries, to bury all wrongs in voluntary oblivion, to unite in the most sacred bond of a charity which holds none stranger or apart next we earnestly exhort the nations of the world to maintain the true peace of christian goodwill by uniting in an abiding alliance with justice its foundation finally we call upon all men and peoples to join themselves to the spirit and dispositions of the catholic church and through the church to christ the redeemer of the human race so we might address to all the words of paul to the ephesians But now in Christ Jesus, you who sometime were afar off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and breaking down the middle wall of partition, killing the enmities in himself. And coming, he preached peace to you that were afar off, and peace to them that were nigh. Not less opposite is his message to the Colossians. Lie not to one another, stripping yourselves of the old man with his deeds, and putting on the new, him who is renewed unto knowledge according to the image of him that created him, where there is neither Gentile nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian nor Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Meanwhile, placing our trust in the intercession of Mary the Immaculate Virgin, whom we recently ordered to be invoked under the title of Queen of Peace, And of the three heavenly citizens whose canonization we lately decreed, in humble supplication, we pray to the Holy Spirit and Comforter graciously to impart to His Church the blessings of union and peace, and to renew the face of the earth with a fresh outpouring of His charity for the salvation of all. In virtue of the divine mercy and as a mark of our benevolence, we lovingly impart the apostolic blessing to you, venerable brethren, and to your clergy and people. Given at Rome at St. Peter's on the twenty third day of May, the feast of Pentecost, nineteen twenty, in the sixth year of our pontificate, Benedict the Fifteenth. End of encyclical letter Passem De Munus Pulcherimum on Peace and Christian Reconciliation by Pope Benedict the Fifteenth.